DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Okay, welcome to DJ Simulationista's Sup with Dan Raymer and Janice Pelagatis. What's up, Dan? Hey, sup, Janice. So, uh, yeah, we we uh, we have a visitor. Uh, uh, I can see our good friend. I'm so glad she's with us. Hello, hello. So this is Melanie Barlow. Mel is the director of the simulation program at Modern Education. You're with us here in Boston um, from Brisbane, Australia. So you have to throw in some like uh, Aussie sayings because I think that's the best part about being in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and Mel uh, was previously the chair of the... Um, Chair is it president of the Australian sure. Society? It's chair, yeah. Australian Society for Simulation and Healthcare. You're also a, a nurse. You're getting your PhD. I am, which is why we're here today. And you have your graduate and master's in intensive care, and also one in leadership. So the reason we have you here today, which is uh, something that we're all very passionate about, and Dan's done a lot of research around this, is speaking of, which is your PhD topic. It is. It is. So, Mel, the term speaking up is really interesting. Uh, When we first started doing research on the topic, we called it challenge and challenging. And uh, the first time I got to Australia and the topic came up, there was all this stuff about graded assertiveness. And uh, Mm. so I'm really interested in kind of where, uh, where in the history of this topic you landed and what you think of these various terms. Yeah, there are multiple terms out there, graded assertiveness, uh, voice, raising concerns, speaking up. Uh, So I guess I'm referring to it as speaking up as a more generic term, although the term speaking up kind of indicates it has to be up the hierarchy chain. I argue that it isn't just that, it's also across. So speaking up to peers can be just as difficult from my experience, uh, as well as speaking up can be down the hierarchy chain. So it is a generic term. When you bring this topic up to people who haven't been steeped in it, they often automatically assume that it has to do with hierarchy. I've thought about, like, where does that come from? Because our research has not shown that to be the biggest factor that drives people's uh, willingness or unwillingness to speak up. I I wonder where that comes from. Oh, Janice, are you going to speak up now? I'm going to. I would like to speak up. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> in that, you know, if there's anything I've learned with the SSH dictionary and all of the changing terminology in the field, it's calling things what they are. And challenge, like that could be interpreted in like 
500 different ways. Speaking up can be too, but along the topic of speaking up. And so I, I love the fact that the whole world, the field is now, you know, we're seeing this in the literature is what it really is, which is speaking up. Yeah. I think that's much more easily understood than challenge and voice. So, so, the, so the term that they use in the organizational studies literature is voice. So Amy Edmondson, our friend at Harvard Business School, uh, uses the term voice in her work and, and others in that field. What do you think of that term? So I do like the term voice. Uh, I, think, I think it resonates with the fact that voice is a conscious effort. I also argue that silence is a conscious effort and a conscious decision. I do like the term finding your voice. Uh, I agree that hierarchy is not the only barrier to speaking up. There's multiple barriers. From the literature review I've done, when you actually start grouping, looking at all the identified barriers in the literature to speaking up and start grouping them overwhelmingly, it is the other person in the conversation which has the greatest impact of people choosing voice over silence. Yet we don't recognise and teach this person. We call it a speaking up conversation, but we only teach one person in the conversation how to have the conversation. We're not actually addressing the other person. And so I'm calling this person the receiver. And I think, you know, in my study, it's we can overcome or lower a lot of the barriers and enhance the enablers if we train this other person on how to listen, how to hear, how to respond in a respectful and a predictable manner. Are you listening, Dan? Just <laughs> I, I, I am. Uh, cause, uh, so, so actually, Mel and I have had this conversation before that, that we did a study of the receiver in an operating room situation, and uh, and it was such an interesting study, and we kind of the 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 implementation was was a bit flawed, and we never wound up publishing it. Uh, but we found that when people were spoken up to, that you know about half the time in you know in a clinical a uh, situation where a decision had to be made, uh, about half the time they blew off the person who was who had found their voice or who had spoken up to them uh, or who had, uh, I don't even want to use the word challenge them because it wasn't really a challenge. It was really kind of speaking up and presenting a different point of view. And and so I I just really applaud Mel's approach here and the topic she's looking at because I think it has a lot to do with the receiver. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and as we um, were talking about in the feedback course, like how much is speaking up a result or an outcome of how the team members or the individuals that are in the room are able to actually receive feedback. Mm. Like, what is that? Because that seems so foundational to the even the action of speaking up. It's like a trigger of it. So, because in my point of view, speaking up is is a form of feedback. I guess more and more as I'm studying this, I don't like the word challenge. 
uh, although we use the two challenge rule. I, I agree with Janice, it's, it's about a sharing of perspectives. I just happen to have a particular perspective of what's going on right now that I'm, I'm wanting to share with you. The theory I'm using to study receiver behavior is called communication accommodation theory. And basically it says we come to a conversation with some kind of pre-evaluation of, of the other person already. And that's based on past interactions that I've had with you, um, a past relationship, you know, based on the communication we've had previously, as well as the group that I identify with. And so that's where difference in, in hierarchy and status and group identity come into play. So it's, it's a complex issue. I think with the receiver as well, like we, we have this belief that if we tell our staff to speak up, that if the leadership say it's important you should speak up, then people will naturally do it. And we know categorically that that doesn't happen. There are so many things that get in the way. And so I argue with the receiver as well. We can't just say to people, you should be respectful. We actually need to deliberately train how to, to be that, that role and how to receive, listen mindfully in the moment. So in feedback, you know, there are times when you have feedback conversations. More often than not, it can be in protected time, on agreed upon time frame, in privacy. Speaking up is not that. Speaking up is in the moment during clinical care. So how, how do we as receivers, when someone is trying to speak up to us, be mindful enough to pause, to actually understand that someone is speaking up to us? Because if that message isn't clear, we might not even get that someone's trying to speak up. So have the presence of mind to pause, clarify, listen, and engage in a conversation that requires skill, practice, and knowledge. So, so Mal, you brought up two things that are, uh, um, you know, interesting to me, frustrating to me, I have to say. Uh, and, and one is when you study this topic, you just listed in a few seconds six or seven or eight or ten variables, yes. which <laughs> are really hard to control. So. So we found as well that people often bring up their relationship with the individual they're speaking up to. But if you're doing an experiment, even a simulation experiment, how do you control that person's relationship, their, their, uh, their job, their stature, their age, their gender, their... Uh, um, their culture. There, uh, there are just so many variables that go into that little equation we all solve when we're interacting with another person. Um, you know, we quickly make all those assessments, and they're different for each and every conversation we have. And so, how do you control those variables? Good question. Not without difficulty. I think this is why the, the theory, the behavior, the communication behavior theory I'm studying really resonated with me. Because I think in speaking up, training, the goal is and the philosophy behind it is, you know, all the hierarchy should be flattened and everyone should be able to talk to each other, you know, without hesitation. And in a culture, healthcare culture is so entrenched in traditional hierarchy that that is never going to happen. 
And so what I like about this theory is it acknowledges the dynamics that they exist. If we can actually then start studying the receiver behaviour and start understanding it, then we're in a much better position to increase the predictability and through specific targeted training. At the moment, from my searches, there's been no study in healthcare speaking up literature that has studied specifically the receiver. So we're kind of in unknown territory here. So I think we need to study the behaviour first, the impacts of verbal and nonverbal language. Like you could say the right words, but if the tone in which you say it or you roll your eyes when you say it is going to have a significant impact on that conversation. Are you studying, because the, the huge confounding variable or the assumption that, that I'm concerned about is assuming that there is past experiences. So like form teams, meaning people that typically work together and then teams that are new that you'll, you'll typically see in simulation, you know, might not have worked together. Are you studying the differences? Are you focusing on one group versus the other? I'm studying it through an intergroup perspective, which is dependent. Group identity is dependent on the social context. So in healthcare, as a nurse, if I'm speaking up to a doctor, I identify my group in that context as a nurse. And you, Janice, if you were the doctor you would identify your main salient group in that moment would be as a doctor. Mm. So we're actually having an intergroup conversation, not an interpersonal conversation. Right. Whereas if you and I then went hiking on the weekend together, and you know, in a hiking club, you and I would belong to the same group. So my argument is speaking up conversations in the healthcare context is actually an intergroup conversation. Um, and so studying it through that lens, yeah, we can understand then the impact of group membership and group identity has on our conversations. But, but of course, there, there is a big difference between the nurse and doctor conversation yes. of people who know each other and work together all the time and the conversation where they're interacting for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so it is yet another one of these variables. And that's exactly what I was talking about. It's really hard to control those variables and generalize your conclusions. So in many of our experiments, we choose the speaking up person to be a stranger. And most of our participants don't know our mm -hmm. staff here personally. And so we have them actually do something that needs to be spoken up about. And, uh, and, and so we wind up with the stranger model. We've controlled that variable, mm. but it doesn't tell us anything about what happens when that nurse talks to the doctor, the surgeon perhaps that they've worked with for years and who has, you know, chewed people's head off for speaking up or, you know, there's some history there or vice versa. Um, and, and so I just think that this is so interesting and fun to study because there are so many variables, um, but it is, uh, it, it is incredibly difficult to 
even measure them all, let alone control them all at the same time. Right. And I, I mean, I, I, and I don't, it, you're talking about inner group. And I think a big part of the group too, is the patient and what's going on with pa- like the situational yeah. awareness. And if, you know, if a patient's crashing, I don't care how much of an Dan might be in that moment. <laughs> I'm still going to speak up, you know, it's, so there are these different situational factors that go into this inner group mix um, yeah. that might be the patient condition as well or you know absolutely. my judgment of the dire need to speak up absolutely so janice you 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 speak up even when i'm not <laughs> i love you <laughs> which is which only goes to show what a good receiver i am <laughs> and that and two things you know, come to mind there is it is so complex. So if we teach people a good way to receive a message and to engage in a conversation is to make eye contact in acknowledgement that you've heard their message. If I'm focused on a task in the middle of a procedure, it may be completely unsafe for me to, you know, maintain eye contact. So what does that impact in the conversation? So then what I say becomes so much more important than the nonverbals. And so there are so many dynamics here. And I think that is the beauty of simulation, where we can go in, observe communication behavior and study it, but then go into the debrief and we can actually explore what was going on for them. What were their thought processes at that time? And then we can start connecting the two um, and gain insight into what works, what doesn't, what was the intent, what was the impact. I would like to help our listeners and and maybe we can all study it together as a field. I would love to kind of pick your brain as to what scripting or what things have you come across where you can invite others to speak up that seem to be effective that people can try now and give you feedback on whether or not it worked and, you know, the intergroup dynamics of, you know, regardless of past experiences. Uh, So I like the idea of inviting, uh, speaking up and inviting feedback. You know, Amy Emerson talks about that as a leader, but I think as peers, we should be doing that as well. I think something really simple like, thank you, like, thank you for speaking up. As a receiver, I think in speaking up training, in teaching people, if you see something wrong, speak up, there is an underlying theme of if you speak up, you are right. And what I want to flip is, no, you have a perspective. And as a receiver, I don't have to agree with you, but I need to be able to have a respectful conversation and come to a resolution. So I think, yeah, we need to change the concept about, yeah, what is right for this situation, not who. Acknowledging, so saying thank you for speaking up, doesn't mean you have to agree, but how do we respectfully have that conversation? And I think it comes down to fundamentally, you know, what CMS talks about is the basic assumption that this person speaking up takes courage and this person hasn't spoken up because they've got nothing better to do with their time. It's obviously something is on their mind um, and it's worthy of acknowledgement and worthy as a receiver to get curious about what's running for them. So, so thank you seems like a reactive response. Is, do you have any um, suggestions for scripting in terms of previewing 
you know, the invitation to speak up. You know, if there's, if you're thinking of anything, please speak up. It's going to be helpful to me and my role. You know, what kinds of things yeah. that leaders can say to encourage people to speak up? Yeah, certainly what I've seen used and effectively used is uh, the leader saying, look, guys, I'm, you know, there's going to be times where I'm not going to be aware of everything that's going on in the room. You know, we're a team. You are also my eyes and ears. I need you to speak up. Um, You know, this is not only about the patient, but also as a team member, it's also having my colleagues back, you know, rather than waiting till they're down a hole and then speaking up. It's about the welfare of the team, the welfare of a colleague, as well as the welfare of the patient of speaking up early before, you know, things get out of hand or... So, yeah, I think specifically, specifically asking people um, that their voice matters or telling them that their voice matters and that you actually need it as a leader because no matter how skilled or no matter how much of a, we're an expert in our field, we still can't see everything, hear everything, know everything. Dan, I, I'd like to invite your voice. Yeah, I, I just have been dying to speak <laughs> up here. Uh, Thank you, Dan. I think this is re- really important and something to important to study. We we have been encouraging in the in the operating room teamwork courses. We've been uh, we've been running. We have situations where speaking up is, you know, inevitably comes up in the debriefing. We've been trying to encourage uh, the surgeons during the timeout procedure to add that invitation into their uh, little mantra. Hey, guys, if anybody has any information that anyone else on the team needs, don't hesitate to speak up, please. You know, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, And many of them have said they like that and they'll try to do it and we have a few who have been doing it for quite some time and and the reaction from the others is they really like it whether it changes the behavior though whether it really does get people to speak up in situations where the barriers would otherwise stand in their way we don't really know and and so i think you know, this is a really, really hard nut to crack. And so, you know, we really need to actually do the studies to show whether any of these interventions do change these very deeply set behaviors uh, that that occur because of partly the culture of healthcare, but really our nature as socialized human beings. We, we are we are very, very socialized to to get along and not to speak up when we think that it might not be perfectly opportune or helpful. So, so I think that's really tough. Um, I, I, the thing I wanted to speak up about was that Mal, you, I, I believe I detected you used uh, an Australianism. Oh, I <laughs> and, missed and, it. And and so I want to get to the Crikey, to the uh, to the center <laughs> of it. You said if you're down a hole, yes. Uh, and I wasn't sure whether that had to do with spelunking, golf, or some other activity. <laughs> so so what is that? I don't even know what spelunking is. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, cave, cave, you know, like down a hole, like <laughs> like in a cave. Ah, uh, I guess I meant kind of down a, a rabbit hole where it's then you've got to dig yourself and find a way out of a hole. Whether ah. now isn't that an English thing? No, in typical <laughs> Australian form, if you leave out some words or leave out parts of words. People there seem to understand yeah. it, or at least they act like they do. We just get to the so. point, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think too, Dan, just to uh, reiterate your thoughts there, I think you know more and more studies in speaking up needs to be done in simulation where we can actually study behavior rather than just self-perceptions and changes in attitudes. Absolutely. I think you know there there are there are a bunch of survey studies out there in the literature, I'm sure you've encountered them, uh, uh, where they ask people whether they would speak up, or I've even written some myself, uh, done those studies early on, and, and you know, very early on we appreciated that people's espoused values about this are often quite honorable and excellent, but their, their values in action when you really put them in the situation, their behavior is quite different. And so I think it's important for people to acknowledge that and understand that big difference. So we have a saying, you know, it's harder to play tennis than watch tennis. So it's, it's very easy to sit in a classroom and say, I of course Dan I would speak up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then put in a, you know, a situation in a context with all those co-variables that we were discussing earlier it's very different than sitting in the classroom yeah I guess you could apply that to every sports situation (laughs) it's really easy to sit in your armchair and be critical of the decisions or the actual skills how could he have missed that um and you know, apply it to any sport (laughs) and then you go try to do it yourself uh and and you know, like yesterday I played golf, the hardest game ever created on earth. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so he said that about tennis, like last missing. month, swimming no, two months ago. No, tennis, no. <laughs> Speaking of no, golf today. <laughs> golf is an evil game created by the devil. Have you ever heard Robin Williams? Uh, diatribe about the invention of golf. No. Google it sometime. It has to be the funniest comedy bit that I have ever heard. It's it's uh it's all done with a Scottish accent <laughs> uh, because golf was invented in Scotland. Really. Robin Williams is talking to God about the creation of this game. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mel, for joining us. It's um, such an important topic, and it's an important topic for us at CMS. And for our listeners, take a look at our Speaking Up stories and comment on those, because I think uh, together we can get into some discussions that can help us discover some new things about how we can speak up and complexities of speaking up. Yeah, I think before we do podcasts in the future, Janice, Mm. That, that we should have a little conference and encourage each other to speak up, uh, invite. But we have so many past experiences where we know we could do that. Uh, or not. 
Speak for yourself. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. DJ Simulationistas. Sup? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.